Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I am so glad you are tuning in to the podcast today because I'm joined by someone that I was really impressed with in the last election cycle. She took on the Democrat machine in a solidly blue district in Indiana, coming very close to taking back a seat that had not been held by Republicans for 90, more than 90 years. Welcome to Jennifer Ruth Green, a senior advisor to Polaris National Security former Republican congressional nominee in Indiana's first district and current lieutenant colonel in the Indiana Air National Guard. Jennifer Ruth, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Here at Polaris, we talk a lot about Tudor Dixon and the greatness of of what you do, what you have done. (laughs) And uh, Morgan Ortegas, our founder, is incredibly pleased with you. And so we're just thankful for the work that you do to continue to fight for an America that will win. Thank you so much. Well, we were very excited to have her on a few days back, and we talked to her a lot about what's going on with China right now. I mean, there is so much going on in the national security realm. It's just insane. And I can't imagine how busy you guys are, but but you ran a, an incredible race. So that, to me, first and foremost, I wanted to talk to you about that because I think that people don't understand how challenging it is to step out and run. And I, you know, I was just talking to someone who is running for Congress in Florida right now. Huge kudos to you because you were attacked mercilessly, but your race was very interesting. I want to get into that because I think the thing that stuck out and the thing that people will remember you by is that some of your personal files were leaked out of your service time serving this country. And that was most shocking to all of us. So can you kind of explain to our listeners what happened and how how that feels as someone who is out there publicly putting yourself out there and had already served? So. 
Absolutely. You well, first just... of all, thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about it. It's been a, a while. It happened, you know, about 40 days before the election. And so now having six or seven months to kind of process it, there's been a lot where emotionally I've had to think through the realities and impacts of what actually happened. But as far as the facts go, uh, about 30 to 40 days before the election, I had an interview with a reporter from Politico named Adam Wren. And we flew together. I had the opportunity to pilot a plane. He sat next to me, was asking questions, wanting to get to know me. And we landed, everything went well. He did an interview. And then later that week, he connected with our team and asked for some follow-up information. And he asked for follow-up information about a couple of different items. You know, what was this switch? What year was the plane? What make, what model? And then he said, and I'd like to talk to Jennifer Ruth about a sexual assault she experienced in Baghdad while she was deployed in combat. And that was a story, uh, a piece of my life that I'd connected with the VA about uh, to get help, but with a close circle of small friends. Um, it was something that I had told a couple people in my family about, but it was not something that was broadly known and I wanted to protect my parents from. And so I was surprised that he had this information. So your parents weren't even aware of this? They weren't. They were not. Oh, my. It was a very difficult oh call. This call is how them. ugly elections are, isn't it? It is. It's and, and the hard part is you can talk about policies all day long and you can say this person believes this. I believe this. This solution is in is not going to be impactful. This solution is is going to help. This is what I recommend. But the inhumaneness is where I believed multiple lines were crossed. And I can't understand. Um, I can understand if you were to take a picture when I had a bite in and say, oh, Jennifer, it's gained 10 pounds over the campaign. And, and of course, that's, that's unkind, but that's dirty politics to me, right? But when you take actual factual information about something that transcends the political realm and is a human element, and you decide, this is what I want to weaponize, uh, I quickly lose respect for kind of the process. What was the point of weaponizing this? Because I, I mean, how how can this be something that someone you it just to me is so sick that they would go after an assault, something that a trauma that you have lived through. What was what was the goal in this? The only thing that I can think of is having a situation where you throw me off my game. If I am so mentally, physically, emotionally unstable because I'm redirecting my emotions, I'm living through or revisiting all of the facts that come from being sexual assaulted and all of those experiences, it's hard for me to want to go outside. It's hard for me to want to connect with people. It's hard for me to shake hands. It's hard for me to give speeches. And if you're 40 days away from something huge where people are really listening and really paying attention, if you can throw me off my game and make me less efficient when we are here from, you know, like you said, in a heavy 92 year, Democratic blue district, uh, and we had the opportunity to kind of exponentially skyrocket in this experience due to great help, great people, uh, then you only want to do something to cripple me. And so that is the only thing that I can think of. They wanted to cripple me personally, so I was less effective leading up to the most important parts of get people getting to know me as they're paying attention the last month before an election. That is, I mean, it is really sick. And I think this is the side of elections people don't see or they think, well, you've put yourself out there. And to a certain extent, yes, you've put yourself out there. But this was a private personnel file. I mean, that begs the question. And you were in the general election at this point, correct? Yes. 
So that begs the question, like, how does this information get out there? How do people find this and and who is out there trying to do this? But we know that on the Democrat side, it is very cutthroat. They have a lot of information that they are working with and, and it's challenging. I mean, you were running in a very blue district. I ran in a state that is now fully blue. Tell us a little bit about that because you are in a, an area that is very pro-union. You've got a lot of the steel mills right there. Um, we know that the unions have just come out strongly in support of Joe Biden, even though Joe Biden doesn't probably know that the unions came out strongly in support of him. They did. So why do we why do we see this? Because, I mean, Trump really kind of changed that. You know, when when Trump ran the union folks, the members, they voted for Trump, even though you've got the union bosses saying you got to vote for a Democrat. So why do you think it's kind of going back to why are they pushing so hard for the Dems? So, well, in our district, uh, President Trump won 40 percent of the union vote. And so definitely very heavy. We're a right to work state though. So I think there are some, some things that we had to temper in the campaign to kind of convey the message that we're here for you, right? We would, we would welcome tariffs, uh, if it, if it came across our desk and we had to figure out how we were going to deal with steel and how we we're going to deal with imports and how we we're going to deal with China or how we we're going to deal with Russia and how their steel is coming in through other countries that they've sold to and are still getting profit from as a result of some of the poor policies that are in place today. And so, well, and the tariffs did really help that area, didn't they? Because absolutely. those are genuine steel mills. So they are making ingots for people to process in all different areas of the United States. I mean, it is really very critical that those steel mills are continuing to operate. And I think what people don't understand is that for years they've struggled. And so Trump comes in, he puts in these tariffs. All of a sudden people are really forced at that point to buy U.S. or not not necessarily forced, but it's not appealing to go to China to buy steel anymore. So that that particular section of Indiana should have been pretty pleased with those decisions. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, one of the things that from a defense perspective, obviously working with Polaris, we think about how if it, if we're building ships, if we're building our, our arsenal, I definitely want American resources and to know that there are people that are actively building with materials that are, are going to be helpful uh, because the standard line that I wanted people to understand was if we get into war with China, which I do not think is something that is so far-fetched, but if we go to war with China, yeah. they're not going to sell us the steel to be able to beat them. And so we <laughs> have to be self-sufficient. Shocking. I know. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, uh, full transparency, I just liken it to Stockholm syndrome. You know, you, we've heard about that case in Stockholm, Sweden, where there are people that were kidnapped and they were there so long with their captors, they're just like, oh, this isn't so bad. And I think more so than being a Republican in a long-led blue district, being a Black Republican in a primarily Black district um, or a high-density population of African Americans is something that was far more uh, contentious. And so in connecting with people, we want the same things. We want to have better lives. We want to have security for the future. We want to have children who have the opportunity to succeed and excel. But the pathway with how we get there is filtered through the lens of political parties. And I think that that our point was, hey, I want to share the same message that I want better. I want to have better. I want to be better. I want to do better. I want the same for you. And this is how I can help. 
And, you know, there was a clear shift. There was a clear line. I've been in the community a lot as an aviator, uh, running a nonprofit, striving to help our young people grow in aviation and that kind of thing, reaching underrepresented young people and been in the community, been in schools in Gary and all around the Northwest Indiana area. But as soon as I came out and declared and said, hey, I'm a Republican because I believe these things, uh, people wanted nothing to do with me. And so that was a, a shift for me, more so than being a Republican, is being a Black Republican who was previously accepted as perhaps uh, an example or somebody that should be, um, you know, lifted up and not necessarily for my ego, but for the, the opportunities I could provide or teach or train into the community. Uh, and now uh, I'm, you know, I'm somebody that is persona non grata in some places. So that was the biggest shift for me. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place Place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Obviously, we hear you're talking about China. And I think that what you said about Stockholm syndrome is very accurate, because if I even if I just peruse social media, I will see if somebody says something negative about China. And and we have come out in Michigan and said this Chinese battery factory that we're paying tax U.S. or Michigan taxpayer dollars to come to the state of Michigan. You know, this is a problem because they are directly connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I think that what people, the Democrats like to do is say, oh, well, then 
that person doesn't like anybody that is a Chinese American. No, our Chinese American citizens came here because they know what we are ignorant to. They know how dangerous the Chinese Communist Party is. So from your perspective, honestly, as a black woman, when they come out and they say, well, if you say this stuff, it's racist. How do you I mean, how do you even respond to that? You know, I think if we look at the party of separation, it is certainly not the Republican Party. The party that wants mm. to divide us and figure out as many ways as possible to separate us into various groups, to elevate some, to lift up others, to, to push down others, whether it's advertent or inadvertent, it's something that they continue to, to, to bear down on very heavily. And they consider, you know, this type of politics and what I, I just strive, I, I mean, I, I call it emotionally based politics. And you'll see that, you know, Sometimes we'll see things like when Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House and Black Lives Matter, she would she went out and and wore a daishiki and she would wash people's feet, black people's feet in the streets. And and there were these fantastic and by fantastic, I mean, over the top, exaggerated um, uh, overtures so that people could see that they were so serious about what they meant. But yet when you look at the, the politics and how they're impacting people, whether it's, hey, everyone, we want you to be satisfied. We want you to be happy. We want you to feel good. We don't want you to be offended. The police offend you. Okay, we'll put a stop to them. And, oh, this offends you. Okay, we'll put a stop to this. And I, I think that there are so many instances where they feel like they're emotionally doing the right thing, but yet they're really causing great difficulty. One instance that I think is, is, is prime is Supreme Court Justice Katanji Jackson Brown. Before she got appointed, President Biden was very clear and he said, I'm going to appoint the first black woman on the Supreme Court. And everyone said, yay, great, that's a great plan. However, I had the opportunity to write an op-ed and I said, listen, she has served her country, served in the courts. If I may or may not agree with her decisions. However, if she has earned the opportunity to serve in the highest court in the land, then she should be able to stand strong with her peers because she is qualified. But when you preempt her arrival with the fact that you are picking her because of this, it lessens the validity of her opportunity to serve in that role as a relevant teammate. And so people walk in and they say, oh, she's the first black woman on the Supreme Court. But they should say she's a qualified Supreme Court justice. And when you qualify it, you make her less than her other peers. And I don't think you're elevating things. And I think it's this, this paradox that they find themselves in that they don't recognize. When you try to make all these separations, you don't make people feel more special. You actually diminish their ability to serve in the places where you want them to be. Well, let me ask you something, and this may be a controversial statement, but why did the Democrats skip over black men? I mean, in in life, really, because they went from white men to black women to transgender, but they do not lift up black men. It's an area in the United States where we really suffer. We need to be lifting up black men, especially in our communities where young men in these minority communities need to look and see that there are black men lifted up. And if you look at these administrations, where are the black men and where are the celebrations of black men? That's a really interesting point. You know, I don't know that I've actually thought that deeply about it, but I do know that the the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, he's a black man. 
Uh, and I don't know, uh, you know, the rest of the makeup of, of Congress, but I knew that the, the Congressional Black Caucus has a lot of black men in it. But if you're thinking about the party and how they're they're pushing people and moving people, um, I think if you're dealing with emotional based politics, you're going to work with the people that will give you the most bang for your buck. So who's going to be out there rallying on the streets? Who's going to get the chance to be on the next ad? Who are you going to be able to push? And whoever's the loudest. And so if there are black men that are involved in politics, involved in their communities, involved in those types of things, they'll either snatch them up. But is it a people group that are actively doing things politically right now? Or are they just trying to capture the people who are at the forefront and, um, you know, like the Black Lives Matter mission? Black Lives Matter used to have a very specific purpose. It was a Marxist organization and it had a very specific thing that it wanted to do, advance black objectives in America. But then, as you can see, as time went on, whatever was popular, it began to add to its manifesto. And so the leadership said, well, now we're adding tra transgender people. Now we're adding this. Now we're adding that. And now they have this entire pot of things and they say, give us money because we're supporting all of these elements. And so... I think they're emotionally based, emotionally driven, and whatever is most popular is what they're going to do. So the minute that black men say we're going to step up and want to do more things and be involved and be engaged, then they might be the next political target. But you're absolutely right. I think I think that. I think that strong black men scare them because if you look at Black Lives Matter, if you look at the um, description on their website that used to be on there, it was that we want to lift up black women and we want to lift up single moms and that we should raise children as a community and we want to lift up transgender and and it was specific to say that black mothers can raise children without a father in the home and so it there was even though the organization was supposedly like you know we're gonna help support these people who have been unfairly targeted by the police that was not their mission statement and so once again they're not really lifting up strong black men, strong black fathers. And I, I think that there is, it seems to me that the goal of the left is to not have a strong black father in the home. I think there's a clear dissolution of, uh, and, a, and a breakdown of, of masculinity on the left. Mm -hmm. But I would say mm -hmm. that uh, I don't, I don't believe that either party is focusing on developing the black man. And so I don't That's think right. that across America, we have an understanding of the importance of the home, the importance of having a two parent household, the importance of what it takes. I think a lot of problems start in the home. And that's that's the basis of my faith as a Christian. I think the home is the most important place where learning begins, where love begins, where your understanding of human treatment and character begins. And so I, I would say that. Yes, admittedly, the, the black men are left behind on the left, but on the right as well. And so I think we're equally as reprehensible in, in that environment. Don't you think that a lot of this goes back to the education in those communities? I mean, if I look in at Michigan, the education rate for black students is so much, the proficiency rate is so much lower than white students. And I have, here we have in Michigan that they're celebrating right now that for the fifth year in, the, in a row, they're putting more money into education than they ever have. And yet the scores for our black students are lower than they ever have been. Now, I would say that we were, are seeing some of these Republican governors come out and saying, we want to offer choice in education. And so we're seeing Oklahoma and Arizona and 
and um, Iowa, Florida, some of these states, Arkansas, that are going to a choice model. And we've seen facts show that that will lift up our minority communities. Do you feel strongly that if we were to focus more on making sure that our minority communities have higher rates of proficiency in reading and math, then that would lift up fathers in those areas because there would be an opportunity. I mean, really, when you can't read, your opportunity is incredibly limited. I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that that there are a lot of things to unpack in the education system, and that kind of goes back to the home as well. But yes, if you can't read, your opportunities are incredibly limited. But we have to figure out which came first, the chicken or the egg. So we have mm-hmm. a lack of investment in Black communities and in Black education. Then we increase the amount of money and we add teachers. But then we add teachers to a system where learning is not reinforced at home. So I can have you for seven hours a day, eight hours a day, 18,000 hours between kindergarten and 12th grade. But at the same time, when you go home, if your primary responsibility is to not be a child, as in my primary responsibility is reading, writing, and arithmetic, but yet you have to figure out, I'm 13, how do I care for my four-year-old? My mom has to work six jobs. Mm. I don't have a father in the home. People don't have the opportunity to be kids. And so when we work a system, you can invest as much as you want in school, but if at home you don't have the opportunity, whether it's to reinforce or to allow a child to be a child and do childlike things, i.e. study and focus and learn and imagine and play and serve and give, but now they're trying to have to figure out how to work on the basis, most base level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and shelter, then that's where the problem lies. And so I think that has to do with the system, which and, and education is something that is should not be an add on. It should be a basic. But we have not mm-hmm. solved the problem in black communities where we're dealing with the issues of, of humanity. And so I will say plainly and publicly that I think Republicans do a good job of getting people into this world, but they do a poor job of taking care of them once they get here. And we have to figure out how do we adjust our welfare system to make it a place where we can have incentives to get off of welfare. You cannot tell people, pick yourself up by your bootstraps after you've cut off their bootstraps for 400 years. Do I believe that our country is everything that uh, we ought to be? No, but we are certainly not where we were. So we've made great gains and we must recognize that and build on that. We cannot allow ourselves to continue to be victimized as a black community, but we as uh, Republicans cannot sit and look at the black community and say, well, systemic racism never existed or because it did exist, it happened centuries ago and has no impact on today. It has an impact on today, certainly not as much, and we are doing as much as we can to fix it, but we certainly can't exist in a place where we act as if our actions or the actions of people who have come before us have not impacted various communities. I've had some folks say to me that they think that welfare should be a trampoline and not a net. And too often times we allow it to be a net that holds someone. So what what are your experiences that you think that we could make it more of a trampoline to get people back into the workforce? And in some of these communities, I mean, I would say in Michigan, especially the the jobs are not there. There's There are not facilities there for people to go into at this time and work. So that, I mean, part of the problem is that. I agree. I, I think that that one thing that we continue to push in the campaign is that the efficacy of the government should not be based on the number of people you help, but by the number of people who stop needing your help. And if your mm-hmm. goal is to help people stop 
relying on the government because as we know, um, is it was it Lincoln who said the government should only do for people what the people cannot do for themselves and no more. And uh, we just have a, a reverse philosophy of that. We're going to do as much as we can for you because the more we do for you, the more dependent you become on us and the more uh, we can continue to stay in office. So if you have office holders who are in place and you're still in the same economic, social, social situation, then those people need to leave. And that was an argument that we continue to pose because if people are in the same place and they're rewarded for not helping you, why would I do anything different? And your life wouldn't change. And so that's what we wanted to share. We were going to bring change. We wanted to bring better. We wanted to bring different. But when we talk about the trampoline, I hope, I think that's a great, a great way to put it. But one way that we can do that and provide incentives when you talk about jobs, well, one of the things that's currently in place is if you take a job, then your welfare is cut off. But what if there's a moderation where for six months you have this opportunity to double dip or where for for a couple of months, we're going to we're going to supplement your income and it's a year long opportunity, whatever it is. It's a, a phased opportunity with a complete end objective in mind. And when you don't start with why, like Simon Sinek says, if you don't start with your why or your end state, then you have no way of getting there. If you just say, yes, I want to help people. Well, that's a good philosophy. But what do you want to help them do? How do you want to help them get there? And what is the clear plan? And will it help us get to that point? And if we want people to stay on welfare for forever, then we have a really good model right now. I think there are folks that would argue on that point and say, well, what if we ended up because like from the the business standpoint, you know, coming from a steel foundry myself, I think that we have some folks that would have gladly worked for six months, left, gone back on welfare, then come back. So I, I guess there would have to be some way of protecting against that too, because from when I talk to folks here in the state of Michigan who own factories coming from the manufacturing world, I talked to quite a few of them. Their issue is they can't get people to stay. And, and it is tough work. I mean, it's, it is different work than going into an office every day. My dad would be the first to tell you, I'd rather be using my hands every day and moving around than I would sit, sitting behind a desk. How do we get people to have pride in that and stay in those positions? I think that's that's a great question, and I and I would answer that with um, kind of the thought process of this. There's one group so far that has been incredibly independent on the government, and we look at the reparations that were involved with first Na first nationals, Native Americans, and we see how reservations and money and those kinds of things have impacted their communities. We see how the rise in alcoholism exists. We see how the, the, the social depression has continued to, to rise in numbers. We see how sexual assaults have continued to rise in number and people continue to get all of the help, all of the money, all of the support, all of the opportunity to continue to make money on casinos on this native land. And that's what reparations provided into the DNA of the African-American community is starting to seep this, this dependency, this codependency on the government. And then there's a demand for reparations and a demand for more and a demand for the government to provide more and more and more. And as this system continues, we can see how that over-dependency is going to cause great destruction. And so when you continue to give people something for nothing, why would I want to do anything different? And so how mm. do you invoke that self-pride? Well, again, it starts in the home, but then also you have to, I believe fully in the principle of see me, be me. 
and you have to set positive examples of people who are doing something. And is, you know, we have, we have Congressman Frank Mervan who has access to Hakeem Jeffries, who has access to, excuse me, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, I want to put respect on their name, but other representatives who have the opportunity to come and spend time in our district. And where are they? Why is he not bringing them in? Why are there not continued programs where they can see people of color lifted up doing things? And if you want people to not be oppressed, if you want them to grow, if you want them to serve, why are there not more opportunities for people who exist in front of them? Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're sort of making me think about, um, interestingly, maybe this is even outside of government. We see people putting together committees, and I always think that committees are are an excuse to not get something done. But (laughs) as I traveled around the state of Michigan, (laughs) I mean, in some cases, but as I traveled around the state of Michigan, there were so many businesses that said, we had to get really creative to get people here. So we put a nursery on site so that the kids, so that the moms could come in and make sure that their kids were safe all day and they could go in and see them during the day. And I mean, these are things that I know some businesses would say, oh, we don't think we need to do that. But there is, you know, the, the, landscape of two-parent homes, it's changing. People really have to have two parents working in in the home. And so oftentimes you don't have that luxury of having one parent at home. And oftentimes you're a single parent. And so looking at that, don't you think there is an opportunity to take those businesses that have done such a great job with benefits and, and, and look at businesses that haven't had turnover? I mean, because we have plenty in Michigan, they're like, we just don't have any turnover. And they kind of shrug their shoulders like, I guess they just like working here. No, you've done some really impressive things to have no turnover. So maybe this is an outside of government issues campaign also to say, hey, you, you're complaining that you don't have people working in your businesses. This is what some of your competition is doing. That makes good sense. I think there are there there's a clear solution. Uh, there there are many solutions. I think to to the problems of people not wanting to work, and businesses can do a lot to be engaged in that. But one thing I think of is like basic needs: safety, shelter, food. And when we look at places like Gary and we think about the safety issues that exist, it's a great place with great people, but we're across the border from Chicago. There's crime that flows over. And so when you think about uh, the death toll, which was surpassed by July of last year, July of last year in 2022, we surpassed the entire death toll of 2021. And so When you go to that place as a business, if you're like, I'm going to get robbed or my employees are going to get killed or whatever it is, you know, those are the things that make people not interested in coming. And so how do we protect our and secure our police force? How do we make sure that people want to be there before businesses will even come, before nurseries will come into those businesses? And when we look at Indiana, it's the crossroads of America. We have rail access there, unprecedented. We have four major highways that come through Indiana. We have Lake Michigan. So we have water access. We have the Chicago uh, Gary Airport. We have Midway. We have O'Hare. And we have all four major transit options there. But why are we not driving people there? And it becomes with the basics. And so, and then we also have talent that once talent arises, if you get those people that come through school and they're motivated and encouraged and say, I want to go somewhere, they leave and they're hesitant to come back. And so it's, I don't know that it's a solution that, that businesses can solve. It is a matter of thinking through, like you said, your dad taught you have pride in your work, have pride in what you do, work with your hands, make something, do something, build something. But the perpetuation of consistently wanting people to be settled, doing nothing and wanting nothing better or feeling like they don't deserve anything else is something that the thumb, the left does to keep their thumb on the population of their Democrat constituents. 
We've talked about all kinds of things like making sure that there's access to trade schools, that that is something that students can do during high school, that that is paid for, that there is the knowledge that you can make a a strong living not going to a university if that's not for you. Also, just like you're talking about security, the idea that you are nervous to go to the pharmacy down the road because you don't know if you're going to get robbed. And this is something that on the Democrat side, they just don't like to talk about it. I think it's a strong point for Republicans to say, look, one of the fundamentals of government is to provide law and order. The fact that we shy away from law and order, how did we get to this point? And and I just, to be honest, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I know we got kind of off of the subjects that we thought we would talk about, but I think you bring a unique perspective because a lot of conservatives don't think about things from the standpoint of what it's like to actually live this, what it's like to be a person in a district like yours, because a lot of conservatives have never experienced that. So it's really easy to stay in your own little part of the world, your own little bubble and say, well, this should be this way and this should be that way. But I think that's what the benefit is of talking to people from all different areas and having folks like you running for office and saying, there is a better way. You guys just don't live it. Well, I appreciate and respect that. And I I feel like there's, you know, some people from different communities have accused me of, of whether it's whitewashing or being an Uncle Tom or, or just you know, delving into a one party system, one person system that just focuses solely on uh, single point leadership without critical thought and embedded in racism. And I've heard all of those things and I've had clear discussions with people who think differently from me and they've caused me to challenge some views um, and some thoughts and caused me to recognize that, yes, I grew up in a two parent household. My parents have been married 53 years. I'm a rarity. My parents were directly invested in my education and they firmly believed that if I didn't get it in school, it wasn't the teacher's fault. It was their responsibility to make sure that I learned it. And they said, we don't have college funds for you. We were going to make you so well-rounded that somebody else pays for your college. And that's exactly what they did. So they gave me opportunities and said, sure, you can go to service school. Sure, you can go to this camp. Sure, you can learn how to code. Sure, you can do these things. And they always said yes to educational opportunities. They made it fun and enjoyable. But that was a function of them having the bandwidth to be able to do it. And not everybody has those privileges. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to to bring a different perspective. But at the same time, um, given more time, I think we could have definitely had an impact. But I came from nowhere, uh, knowing just my local community, to running across a district of 700,000 people. You obviously were running in so Michigan. So do you run millions. again? So uh, full transparency, I feel like politics is something for the future, for sure. Uh, I don't necessarily know where, but I do anticipate striving to be on a ballot in the 2024 cycle. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's very exciting. I think, I mean, right now, I... I... I just feel like there's so much more I could talk to you about because I think that the messaging that we're seeing from the left yesterday, I saw something posted from Planned Parenthood saying that essentially like promiscuity is cool. You should be doing this. And I just think these messages that are going to all of our young people and it affects young people in er different areas differently. And but it's always a negative effect. And I just, I've really enjoyed talking to you and I, I wanna have you back because we didn't even get into national security and how national security impacts districts like yours because just having an open border is a problem for districts like yours. So there's so much more to talk about. I hope you'll come back. Good Jennifer Ruth Green, she is a senior advisor to Polaris National Security, former Republican congressional nominee and possibly 
a, a future one. We'll see. But also current lieutenant colonel in the Indiana Air National Guard. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks. It's an honor. I look forward to talking again soon. Take care. Yeah, that, that would be great. I mean, honestly, I feel like I just want to keep going, but I know that we don't want to take too much of your time, so we'll have you back. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a great day. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.